The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome. Glad to have you with us uh, today. I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, I'd like to welcome all those who are watching online. Usually on holiday weekends like this weekend, um, our online attendance kind of skyrockets a little bit as uh, people are out of town. So we'd like to welcome you guys that are uh, watching us online. So, somebody asked me today, Pastor Chris, you say that. They didn't even realize you could do that. So yes, we live stream our services. Um, it's important that you're here, but if you're ever home because of sickness or you're traveling, uh, make sure you check us out uh, online. And uh, it's a good way to kind of uh, introduce other people people to our church. Tell them, hey, you know, check, uh, check out our service uh, before you come. Uh, a lot of great things happening. Wow, what a, what a great celebration today. You get to watch someone get baptized, raised a new life in Christ. So that was exciting. Um, just a lot of things happening. Uh, Chris is right. Chris Ray knew. Uh, next Sunday is going to be a lot of fun. You're not going to want to miss it. Life Group Sunday. It's kind of like a, a job fair or college fair. You know where you show up in a big uh, room and there's all these different booths and tables representing you know different jobs or uh, careers or colleges. Well, we do the same thing for our life groups. And so it'll be normal. You'll come in here just like normal for our services, but then our service in here will be slightly shortened and we'll allow some more time in between the two services to go check out the booth. And uh, it's always a lot of fun. Great food, great fellowship. You're not, you're definitely not going to want to miss that. But I got some other good news to announce this morning. Uh, we've been in the middle, uh, kind of. Um uh, our annual Christmas offering here at Coastal. And this year, our goal was $60,000. And uh, so drum roll, if you didn't read my Friday Five, uh, the, we, you get generously gave over $69,000 this year to our Christmas offering. So we're excited about that. And um, a lot of that money is already being spent. You know, a lot of different things, a lot of different ministries, our student ministry, Scott's gonna mention that uh, later on. And uh, just things that are happening at Coastal. And um, it, it, your generous uh, consistent giving enables us to do everything that happens here at Coastal, and we're very uh, grateful for it, uh, knowing that it all comes from God. Um, we are in a series called uh, In the Beginning, and uh, so if you don't have your uh, outline with you, go ahead and pull that out. Uh, I'd love for you to follow along and take notes. Uh, so far in our series in Genesis, and that's really what this series is. It's, a, it's an overview of the book of Genesis. So we're really just kind of hitting a lot of the highlights, giving you kind of an, an understanding of, of this first book of the Bible. So, so far we've learned in the very opening chapters, if you'll remember, the first week God created everything. And of, and of all that he created, you and I, human beings, we are the crown, the apex of his creation. And then God created us to live in harmony with him and with one another, in community, in, in, a, in an intimate relationship with each other and with him. And everything that he created was good. In fact, it was all very good until, until sin entered the picture and mankind fell. And we talked about that last week. Uh, if you remember, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and chapter three ends with this verse. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And uh, that's where we left off last, last week. Now, everybody, if you were here last Sunday, you watched this online, everybody remember this? What is this? A slinky. We talked about that last week. Um, today, really, in a way, is kind of part two of this downward spiral, that was the illustration, this downward spiral of sin that we talked about last week. Last week we talked about Adam and Eve, and then today we're gonna continue and we're gonna quickly survey 
through these chapters three more key events that took place from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11. Okay, here they are. Cain and Abel, the flood, and the Tower of Abel. Now again, each one of those probably could you know, deserve a, a message all by itself, but this is really meant to be an overview. Now, what I really hope you'll discover today, this is important, I hope you'll see a glimpse of God's grace and maybe some pictures of God's grace that you haven't seen before. Because that's really, in my mind, what's, what's key, what's evident in these first few chapters of Genesis, even as we talk about the downward spiral of sin. So this, this, this downward spiral that began with Adam and Eve, at this point, it's gaining speed, it's getting deeper and broader uh, by, by, the, by the minute, and by the time we come to Genesis chapter four, it is deeply woven into our hearts, okay? However, chapter four, I also think, begins on a high note, um, a, a note of hope, and it says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, last week, after the fall, I mean, come on, Adam and Eve had to be thinking, well, you know, is this it? I mean, you know, is God still going to continue with this great plan for human beings now that we've sinned, or is it just going to be us until death? And then one day, something mysterious happens to Eve. Ladies, she gets a little nauseous. She starts getting a little moody with Adam, maybe. You know, maybe she gets some strange cravings, you know. Hey, Adam, I could really go for a crocodile milkshake, you know, or, uh, or some pickled monkey legs. I don't know, you know, I don't know what they <laughs> craved back then. Um, and think about it, there, there were no uh, what to expect when you're expecting books, you know. None of that was around. And, um, and, and she's the first. You know, she's got nobody else to talk to. I mean, this has never happened before. And I got to believe, you know, I just really, I really imagine that uh, Adam looks at her and says, uh, honey, you're starting to put on a little bit of weight, you know? Um, that skin covering that God gave us is not sufficient. You know, maybe we need to get a buffalo skin or something. You know, I don't know. Um, I'm sure he was very kind. But, uh, but I believe that every time that Adam and Eve looked at Cain, they were reminded that God still had a plan. And they were reminded of God's grace. You know, think about it. He didn't let their sin derail his plans for humanity. And then the Bible says along comes Abel. And as the boys grew up, Abel becomes a shepherd or a rancher, and Cain becomes a farmer. So let's pick up the story in Genesis 4, 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now Cain and Abel got a lot in common. Okay? They shared the same parents, you know, the same home life, the same influences, and they both brought an offering to God. The only difference was God looked with favor on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's. Now, the obvious question is why? I mean, what's the difference? Well, 
The Bible doesn't specifically say why, but I do believe that we're given two huge clues. One uh, from the text itself, and then another one from the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. So, what does the text say? Well, remember, the only difference from what we can see in the story here is that the Bible says that Abel brought the firstborn from his flock, okay? And Cain, simply, it simply says, he brings some of the fruit of the soil. Now, Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the what? What's it say? The first fruits of all your crops, And then fast forward to the New Testament. In Hebrews 11.4, referencing this story, we read this. It was by faith, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. God accepted Abel's offering to show that he was a righteous man. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us because of his what? His faith. So evidently, from Scripture, God prefers Abel's offering over Cain's, not because, you know, God liked meat more than vegetables or shepherds more than farmers. No, he offered a more, Abel offered a more acceptable offering than Cain because Abel gave the first fruits and he gave by faith. Okay, he gave the first fruits and he gave by faith. Now, Abel gave faithfully. Apparently, Cain gives flippantly. Abel gave what came first. Cain must have given from the leftovers. Abel's offering cost him something. Cain's offering appears to be really kind of casual. Listen, every single time you get paid, every time you come to church, you know, we we take up an offering. And when those offering buckets are passed, when you get a paycheck, when that money is deposited into your bank account, you have an opportunity to do something. You have an opportunity to give from that which costs you something or just to casually flip in a few dollars. You see, you can give from your first fruits or you can give from your leftovers. Your giving can be an act of faith, trusting God with your finances, trusting God with your future, or you can make the decision to give by sight based on what you can see right now and how you think you can work it all out. That's what Abel did, and that's what Cain refused to do. You know, by sacrificing his first lamb, he had no way of knowing. You know, would would there be another lamb? Cain, we're told, gathered all of his harvest and he gave some of it to God. Now, perhaps he gave something that he didn't really need. You know, perhaps he gave something that he really didn't want. Perhaps he gave something, you know, from what he had at the moment and he just didn't really even think about it. Either way, it's obvious in Scripture, God's not pleased and it cost him nothing. So the question I got for you today, for me, am I giving to God from my first fruits by faith, or am I just giving him the leftovers? That's something you gotta ask yourself. Because God was pleased with one, and he wasn't pleased with the other. Now Cain basically gets jealous of Abel, he becomes angry, and uh, God sees what's going on, and this is what's amazing to me. And this is the reminder. God still gives him grace. He still is drawing him to himself. He's still reaching out to him, giving him a chance to repent. In verses six and seven, it says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? 
you will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. So again, here's God graciously reaching out to Cain. Listen, Cain, sin is like a beast. Remember we talked about this last week. Satan's tactics, how the devil says he's like a roaring lion, the Bible says, waiting to devour us. Um, and, and that's what he's saying to Cain here. Listen, if, you, if you're not careful, sin is going to consume you. Now it's possible that Cain could have done a heart check at that point. You know, he could have changed his behavior. Instead, it drives him to murder. And this downward spiral of sin, again, it's getting deeper, it's getting broader. Now, with a few notable exceptions in these chapters, um, most notably Enoch, uh, who we're told walked with God, and then a man by the name of Noah, who finds favor with God, the world just continues to go from bad to worse. In fact, listen to this commentary on the world, Genesis 6, 5 and 6. It says this, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Wow. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Man, that's a sad, sad commentary. God is, is grieved. You know, again, this original plan, this original hope and dream for community is now just kind of spinning and spiraling out of control. Evil is fully alive in, in our hearts. So, God sends a flood. But, in his grace, he spares Noah and his family. So, he gives Noah some instructions. Uh, Noah goes to Home Depot, as it were, Chris Ray knew, and uh, places a really, really big order. And uh, the rains come. And how long do the rains uh, uh, fall? How, do you, how long? 40 days and 40 nights. Noah obeys God, and God begins his dream again. And honestly, you might even begin to think, well, okay, now, maybe now, you know, they're, they're going to get a new start, and, you know, things are going to get better. But guess what happens next? In fact, the very next scene after the recovery from the flood, anybody remember what happens to Noah? This is part of the story that's not usually taught in children's church. Um, Noah gets drunk, and uh, he winds up cursing one of his sons and all of his descendants. I mean, talk about a dysfunctional family, right? And then that leads to chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. I think one of the points of this story, and you ought to go home and, and read this for yourself, it's, it's not about God being opposed to a cer certain type of architecture. It's almost as though it's a satire on the folly of the arrogance of human nature. Because the people basically get together and they decide, hey, let's become like God. Sound familiar? I mean, again, you read this and you think, oh my goodness, here we go again. 
And, and you know what it actually says in Scripture? It says they were going to make a name for themselves. In other words, it's almost as though they think they don't, they don't need God anymore, so they decide they're going to build a tower to show that they're stronger, mightier, and higher than God is. And so again, it, it's just, it really is just a sad, same old story of, of human nature. We do the same thing today. I mean, we do. Think about what happens. Sometimes... I mean, guys, it's possible, you know this, that you can walk out of here and you can forget that your primary role as a believer, it is to bring glory and honor and praise to God. It's to lift up the name of Jesus. It's to make him famous. But instead, you know what we so often do? We prefer to make a name for ourselves. We prefer to bring attention to ourselves. And we forget that the church, listen, the church is not about you. It's about others. It's about reaching out to people. It's about making Jesus, in the name of Jesus, famous in, in this community and in the world. And so before you get too judgmental about what's happening in Genesis, we need to look at ourselves. And so this, this downward spiral of sin Again, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and broader and broader, and it looks hopeless. But if you will just look close enough, if you'll look hard enough, I believe that you can still see God's grace in all of these stories. And that's what I want you to see today. I want you to, you know, yes, there's, there's sin and it's it's rooted deep into our hearts at this point, but God still has a plan, and he still, ha is, he still has amazing grace. And I want you to see those pictures today. And there's some of these pictures you might not have seen before. So let's take a look. First of all, number one, if you're taking notes, Cain is called to repentance. Cain is called to repentance. Now, I mentioned that one. God calls him to recommit his heart. Now, he refuses to do so, and after he murder, murders Abel, he gets sarcastic with God, you know, and he says, and this is that famous line, you know, hey, am I my brother's keeper? But God in his grace, man, he's right there. He's still trying to get Cain to come clean. He's still trying to draw Cain to himself. But Cain chooses to brush God aside. And the Bible says that he's driven out of community and in Genesis 4.12, it says that he's going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Ever feel that way? Ever feel that way in the middle of your sin? Listen, you're not here by accident today. God is still drawing you to himself. He's still drawing you in, wanting you to choose to choose him. But in the midst of all this with, with Cain, the Bible says something very interesting. God extends grace to Cain by putting all we really know, the Bible says, putting a mark on him. And we don't know a lot about it. We don't know exactly what it is. But we do know it's both a reminder of Cain's sin and the Bible says it's a mark of divine protection. You know, that, that vengeance against Cain was off limits. And so, again, it's just amazing to me how quickly, you know, after judgment, grace abounds. The second, number two, the second glimpse of God's grace, God works with a righteous man named Noah. 
He works with a righteous man named Noah. We're told in Genesis 6-9 that Noah walks with God, that he's blameless, that he's righteous. So God starts over with Noah and, and his family after he wipes out everyone and everything else with the flood. And I actually think, if you'll look, that, that's actually a picture of God's grace. I mean, the truth is, guys, God could have wiped out everybody, could have destroyed you know, everything completely. And in chapter 9, we're told that Noah was blessed and God told him to be fruitful and increase in number. And then what does God put in the sky as a reminder of his covenant? What does he put? A rainbow. Again, it's just a beautiful picture of God's grace. Number three, God scatters the people. You know, even in the scattering of the people at the Tower of Babel, I think you see God's grace. You know, God knew that if they were allowed to go unchecked, uh, eventually their pride would get the best of them. It would consume them. It would destroy them. And so the Bible says that God came down and he took care of it. He took care of their sin problem. You know what that reminds me of? That God came down in the form of his son Jesus, not just to see what was going on and what a mess we'd made of things, but God came down personally to take care of our sin problem. Now, by the way, here's one that you might not have ever thought about, and you, you might not have ever seen this, but do you know where this incident right here at the Tower of Babel is reversed and made right in the Bible? I think it's reversed and made right in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament when the people who had once been scattered and who all spoke different languages, now what do they do? They gather together, and by a supernatural act of God, they are able miraculously to all hear the message of God in their own language, because now God is bringing his people together in the church. Don't you see? The church is the reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel, and it's a beautiful picture of God's grace. You see, now we are reaching out to all people, all, all places, with the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And we, we are a beautiful picture of God's grace. Number four, a prophecy of the Messiah's coming. Now, this really goes back to uh, last week, but I want you to think about this. The very first reference to Jesus comes right in the middle of God's curse on Satan. Okay, look at this verse, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now think about this. The offspring of Eve ultimately is none other than who? Guess who? Jesus and the Bible says that he is going to be struck on the heel. Now, what does that mean? What's that referring to? How is Jesus hurt? How is he struck on the heel? Guys, he is crucified. But then, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you know what the Bible says is going to happen? That Satan's head is going to be crushed. And God is going to destroy the power of sin and death and shame and all of it. I just love how the very first mention of Jesus, it comes in response to guess what? The very first sin. You know what that shows me? You know what that should show you? That God's redemptive plan, his sovereign plan of love and forgiveness and redemption, it has always been in place from the very beginning. Number five. 
God covers sin by the shedding of blood. God covers sin by shedding blood. Adam and Eve, remember, after they made that fatal choice, they try to cover up their sin, and uh, they run around and sow some fig leaves together. But it doesn't work. And you know what? The same is true for you and me. I mean, you, you can try on your own as much as you want to. You can try to cover up your sin, cover up the reality, but it is just never, ever going to be sufficient. You can try to be a good person. You can turn to religion. All those things, they're not going to be good enough. Now, with Adam and Eve, the Bible says that God provided garments of skin for them. Now, a lot of people miss what happened right there. And they definitely miss the significance of that. As harsh and as brutal as this might sound, the reality is God found an animal. He killed it. He slaughtered it. He skinned it. And he took those skins and he put them around the loins of Adam and Eve. Now, this is what I don't want you to miss today. You see, God exercised his justice on an innocent third party, an animal. And he exercised his mercy, his grace, on Adam and Eve. And I think that Adam and Eve woke up really, really fast to the reality that they should have died, that God should have slaughtered them. Now you think about that. For the very first time in human history, sin has been committed, suffering and sacrifice are introduced, and innocent blood is shed so that sin is covered and community can be restored. Now what's that a foretaste of? What's that a picture of? You see, God, from the very beginning, was just setting the stage. And he's setting the stage for things like, for things like the Passover. Remember, fast forward to you know, Moses and Pharaoh. Um, during the time of Moses and Pharaoh, an innocent third party, an innocent animal, an innocent lamb is sacrificed, and then the blood of that lamb is covered, uh, covers the doorpost of the children of Israel in their homes. And remember the story, and the angel of death does what to those homes? That he sees blood. He, what? Passes over them. The Passover is instituted. But more importantly, God is setting the stage for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The innocent lamb of God as the sacrifice for your sin and mine. And listen, he wants to, he wants to be really, really clear here. God can only be approached by way of sacrifice because again, our sin, the choices we've made, they, they separate us from God and that's how serious all this is. But God, in his great grace and love, he took the initiative. He made the sacrifice himself in his one and only son, Jesus. Don't you see? This is a powerful reminder of God's grace from the very beginning of Scripture, from the opening pages of Genesis. And then this final one. 
I want you to catch this last glimpse of God's grace. And maybe it's one that you've not seen before. And then we're going to be done. Number six, the garden is gone, but the tree remains. The garden is gone, but the tree remains. Let me explain. Again, let's go back to where we started this morning. In Genesis 3.24, as the curtain lowers for the final time on the Garden of Eden, we read that God placed cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here's Adam and Eve. They've been expelled. The garden is blocked now by cherubim, God's mighty angels. But you know what? There's more to the story. The tree is guarded, but it was never destroyed. In fact, we hear about it again in all places in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the what? The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. On a little side note, man, I, I love that little mention there. You know, the leaves of the tree provide healing for the nations. That's a reminder to me that God's plan has always been for the vast multitudes of people to come to him, people from every tribe, every race, every nation, every tongue to come to him. The gospel is for all. But don't miss the fact that the cherubim are not mentioned. The cherubim are now gone. The flaming swords are gone. They're nowhere in sight. Why? Why? Because Jesus, because Jesus opened the way. He opened the path to the tree of life. Now, Pastor Chris, when did that happen? Well, when Jesus died on a what? A cross, a tree. You know what happened? The Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, that at that moment when he gave up his life, the veil in the curtain of the temple, the veil inside the, the, the temple, the curtain veil was torn, was ripped in half from top to bottom. Now, what did that mean for everybody? What did that symbolize for the people? It meant that God's justice had been satisfied. And now, Everybody from everywhere can freely come to him. Now, let me ask you a question. This is important. Guess what was on that veil? Do you know what word was embroidered on it? Guess what? Cherubim. Cherubim. And it symbolized to every Jew, they knew this, that they now could, could come to God on their own. And on the mercy seat, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, it had two what on it? Two cherubim made of gold as if to guard it. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ, it cut the curtain in two. And it opened the way for anybody to come to God at any time and at any place. And it means that you and I can receive mercy and grace. You see, guys, this is what you got to catch today. The curse was lifted because of the cross of Jesus. That's why the, the tree of life appears in the closing chapters of the Bible. Friends, heaven, the door to heaven is 
open. Access to the almighty God is right there for you if you will take it. Don't you see your shame, guilt, alienation, fear, hiding, blaming, all of it. It can all be gone forever. And instead of you and I being cast out, do you know what we are being invited into? You and I are being invited into community. We are being invited into a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ. We are invited to come home, to draw near to him. The curse, the curse in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it has been forever reversed. Listen to Revelation 22, verse 17. It says this, the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift from the water of life, come. Come. Guys, that's the invitation. Don't you see, God takes our depravity. He takes this this downward spiral of sin and death and shame and alienation, and he is the only one who can change it into life and love. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is this today. Will I take him up on that offer? You see, because in his great, great love, he's still giving you that chance to choose. He wants you to love him, not because he forces you to, but because you choose to, because you want to, just like any parent. Now, will you take him up on that offer? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take out your Connect card. On your Connect card, on the back of it, underneath the top part where it says, my decision today. Look at that. It's there in bold. I gave my life to Christ today. That is the the one decision there. It is the greatest decision of your life. I gave my life to Christ today. Listen, I I just want to, I want to challenge you today. I want to encourage you. Listen, stop running. Stop hiding. Stop blaming. Stop concealing. The, The invitation is simple. You know what it is? Come. Come, come back to God. Come home. Come. Sure, we, we busted it up. We, we, we destroyed God's dream. But God's sovereign plan and his great love and mercy and grace was always to provide a way back home through his one and only son, Jesus. That's the only answer to our sin. In fact, I want to close with this passage. It's there on your outline. It'll be on the screen. It's Romans 5, 20 and 21. Actually, it is the perfect summary and the perfect answer to this doubt downward spiral of sin. Listen to this. God's law was given so that all people could see just how sinful they were. Listen, in other words, what's God saying there? He's saying, listen, you know, the Bible, you know, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, you know why they were given? God knew you can't keep them. They were just to point out the obvious, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what Scripture says. 
But, listen to this, this is so awesome. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them ultimately to death, God now, God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in what? Eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Man, I love this. Just as people sin more and more, God's wonderful kindness became what? More abundant. Don't you see? Sure, that's the story of Genesis. Absolutely, that's the story of the Bible. But that's also your story and my story. As we sin more and more, God's wonderful kindness becomes more abundant. And so today, you can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. The only way to reverse the downward spiral of sin is through faith in Christ. And God knew that from the very beginning. So what about you? Have you accepted that offer? It still stands. It's simple. Come. Come home. Come back to God. I'd love to step you through that in a prayer. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I just thank you right now for your great plan. For your your sovereign plan of love and grace. And God, there's no doubt that the reality is we are, we are all sinners. We all have this capability of unlimited evil. And yet, Father, it just blows my mind that your answer for my sin is your son. I can't thank you enough today. And God, maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here today and it has struck them right between the eyes that the thing that's been getting in the way the whole time of this dream of community, of this void that's missing in their life, and this relationship with you, it's, it's been sin. And so let's just call it what it is today. And God, I just pray that you are drawing people home here and now. And if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to come, if you're ready to come home and come back to God, just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. Because I asked Jesus to come into my life. He is my Lord, He is my Savior, and I'm going to follow Him for the rest of my life. Thank you, Father, for healing me and for rescuing me from the pit of hell and from the consequences of sin. Thank you for Jesus. And now for the rest of my days, I just want to become more and more like you see me now forgiven, brand new.
alive in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.